The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 50 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier, and we are so glad you are here. We've got a fantastic show for you this week. Uh, We're doing kind of a crossover episode this week. Uh, My friend Nick Galletti, who runs LDS Mission Cast, he and I both had the opportunity this week to interview our guest, Darren Smith. Darren Smith is an amazing guy. He's got a new book coming out. He's a TV producer. So much going on. And so Nick interviewed him and is taking it more from the angle of missionary work, as Nick does as his awesome show, LDS Mission Cast, whereas, you know, our show, we just talk about life, and Darren's life is certainly worth reviewing. So Thursday morning, the interview with Darren will be available on LDS Mission Cast. If you are not listening to LDS Mission Cast, I cannot highly recommend it enough. It is awesome. And it is available at LDSMissionCast.com or wherever you get this podcast or pretty much any others. It's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google uh, Play. All those places it is available. Uh, Like I said, my guest Darren Smith, you know, sometimes you meet people and you just get this feeling from them. And I will just say Darren Smith is just a good guy. He comes across as such an amazingly nice guy and just really wanting to do good in the world. And that's part of why Nick and I wanted to cross promote him. And we have a contest. We are giving away a copy of Darren's new book. He's going to tell you all about his book at the end of the show. Stay tuned so that you can learn how you can win a free copy of his book. And it's just what he's doing is so inspiring and so wonderful. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And also this week in my latter day life, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, feeling the spirit in a job interview. So that is all coming up for you. Sit back, relax and enjoy this week's conversation. And my guest today here in the Latter-day Live studio is such a talented guy. He is a former audio engineer, a screenwriter. He's a film producer I'm and now author. And we're going to talk about all these things. <laughs> Darren Smith is my guest. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm genuinely excited to be here. And that's just that's not just my PR person telling me to like be excited. <laughs> I'm genuinely excited to be here. And you, you don't even have a PR person true. sitting here. So that's good. Also true. You've, you know... <laughs> Yeah, you found me out, and it's taken five seconds. <laughs> Darren, you you know what's fun is Darren and I have only gotten to know each other just over the last little while, yeah. and yet the level of mutual friends we have is outrageous. Like, I feel like we know everybody in common, and we finally get to sit down, so Yeah, we real should pleasure. be friends, is so, what that means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is one of those things where... Uh, 
Where do we start with your life, Darren? Because you have really done a lot of fascinating things, and I know where we want to end up. Yeah. But let's start out talking about your younger life. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and your family. It was a dark and stormy night on November 12th, 1983. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now everyone knows how old I am. Uh, where would I like to start? I'm a Mormon. Yeah. I was born and raised in the church. I awesome. went to Brigham Young University in Provo on a saxophone scholarship. What? Yes. A we didn't even talk about that part. It was a it was a half scholarship. So it was only like a couple hundred dollars a semester. Yeah. And then I really upset those guys because I said, I don't want to play saxophone for a living. I came home. I served a mission in Washington, D.C., came back and they're like, all right, play in all of the bands. And I'm like, how about none of them? <laughs> and I actually, I was in a band, in a symphonic band, playing clarinet of all things. Unbelievable. And I just stopped going and it really made the conductor really mad. They don't like that. <laughs> no, apparently not. I came to find out. So, uh, yeah, I, I was at BYU. I was a sound recording technology major. Um, wow. I'm sk skating around the fact that I didn't actually finish school. I have like three classes left. I hope at some point they just give me like an honorary degree <laughs> and then I can just get my grandma and my, my wife off my back about Do you actually college. think about it? I mean, is this no, a thing for you? I don't. You don't? Because I'm in yeah. the film industry and degrees don't matter. <laughs> okay. So this is, this has been such a constant theme. It started with Kells Goodman. Uh -huh. Kells came out and flat out laid it out there saying, if you want to go into film, go into something else. And since then, <laughs> um, although we had, uh, Bryce on the show last week, in fact, was telling us that uh, that he is a big fan of his, but he is an editor. And so he really leveraged it. Yeah. And uh, Bryce, just an awesome guy. So you, so you, you're okay. You're yeah. with the Kells camp. Look, I loved going to college and yeah. I think there are valid reasons for going. Yeah. But there I are think reasons there are beyond the of... career to go to yes, college. Absolutely. Yeah. But I also think there are valid reasons for not spending money on college and spending that money and time elsewhere. Yeah. And so it's going to be an interesting conversation in 10 years when my oldest son starts going and applying for schools. And I'm like, look, if you want to take 50 grand and travel the world or start a business together or whatever, I'm going to be really open to those options. Yeah. So. I've talked about it openly on the show. Um, my wife is working on her master's degree nice. right now. She was class president at uh, a medical university and graduated summa cum laude, and I dropped out as a junior in high school. So we have those arguments, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> the, those conversations with our children about, yeah, I'm kind of in your camp. It's not for everyone, but yeah. for some people, it certainly is. And you grew up in Utah? I grew up in California. California? So Where I in California was born in the Bay Area in Walnut Creek and then moved to Sacramento when I was six, and my my dad is still there. My mom, unfortunately, passed away a number of years ago. Oh. Um, but yes, yeah, same house that we grew up in. We moved there in 1990, and he's still there and Amazing. remarried. And now I have, I grew up oldest of four, and now I'm oldest of 12 because his new wife wow. has eight children that are all younger than the four of us. And so that's been fun to uh, adjust to and to meet all these cool people. And some of them live here in Utah. And it's been fun. So this all leads us up to your amazing experiences at uh, BYU. But I wanted to ask about your mission a little bit. Sure. You served in Washington, D.C. What was that like? It was everything you would imagine. So I had everything from serving in one of the richest zip codes in America, Bethesda, yeah. Potomac. Uh, oh, my yeah. last area was Bethesda. And literally, we had Christmas dinner at Bill Marriott's house with all of his family and grandkids. What? And he read, you know, the... Uh, 
the nativity story out of the Bible to us. And it was amazing. <laughs> but it was also catered by, you know, chefs that came from the restaurant. Yes, of course. And, and we sat at this massive long table in a ballroom. So, I mean, we had that. But the area before that, I was in D.C., in yeah. uh, Northeast, which 8th and I is notorious uh, from, you know, decades ago of being uh, a corner for every bad thing you can imagine yeah. from drugs to prostitution to everything. Can I say prostitution on this You podcast? can absolutely say it. It's <laughs> so a legal term. It, you know, we were the minority. My companion and I, two white guys in D.C., in that part of D.C., we yeah. were we stood out. Uh, and you know, the experiences we had there varied from everything to incredible conversion stories and baptisms to having our lives threatened and being shot at. So yeah, it was an experience and I loved every minute of it. The thing I take the there's two things I'll take from that or that I took from that mission. One is that God loves his children. That mm. was my, you know, yeah. parting wisdom to the other missionaries is that God loves these people and you better, you know, do your part. Yeah. But the other is that God's real and he protects us. And that mm. that mantle, the the protection that we're promised from our temple covenants, everything yeah. about that aspect of the gospel is real. And there were times where, quick story, I my companion and I went into a project and mm. standing in the front uh, bulletproof room of that complex was a six foot seven tall African-American man in full body armor. He was a, he was a cop and he hopped out of his chair as if someone shot him in the rear and came out and he said, what are you doing here? Go away. Like you should not be here. It's not safe for you to, because he's staring at these two 19, 20 year old white guys from Utah and California. Yeah. And he's confused and he's scared for our lives. And I'm, I'm going, no, 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 no. We're here to meet Jay. He's up in room 304 and he's expecting us. He's like, Jay, the drug dealer, Jay. <laughs> I'm like, I, I haven't asked, you know, I it's, just, it's, I'm here to help to, him through a different gone process. To occupation yet. Right. So, you know, we go in and we're protected and we're the Jesus boys and yeah. everybody's looking out for us. Not awesome. And, you know, we hear that people there get shot and people are doing, you know, all sorts of bad things in the evenings when we're not there. And, we were protected. You had angels with you. We really did. So the question is, if Jay wanted to keep his career, would he have paid tithing? That's a darn good question, <laughs> and it's above my pay grade as a missionary. <laughs> That'd be an interesting question. Can you pay tithing on uh, on your drug dealing money? I mean, you could. Yeah, I don't know that that's super recommended. <laughs> would it count though. towards your yeah. salvation? Yeah, that's, that's the bigger question. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've spent a ton of time in D.C. And, you know, I've usually stayed right downtown, actually not downtown, close to the mall. Yeah. You know, and I love walking the mall at night oh. is the greatest thing. And you can walk basically from the Capitol building all the way up to the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. Yet we'd walk back to the hotel and one route you're walking along trendy restaurants and all kinds of things. You take That's one Northwest. slightly different route <laughs> and you're scared for your life. Yeah. I mean, it's a really unique town. So yeah. the difference between Northwest and Southwest is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of difference. There. So you come home from your mission. You almost finish BYU. Almost. Yes. Where does that take you? Um, I, well. And why did you leave BYU? I, I didn't leave really. I mean, I'm from California. The intention was always to move to New York or to LA and pursue, you know, I was doing sound for film uh, is yep. what I transitioned into when I got back. And, you know, I found a young lady in a dance class and we dated for eight months and then we got married and then a 
13 months to the day later, we were not married anymore. Yeah. And uh, that was an experience. How and, old were you when you got married and then when you got divorced? I mean, 20, it was 2006. So I would have been 23 and then 24 when we got divorced. Yeah. So even there. after dating eight months, did that feel like, because to me, I mean, you know, Mormon time, eight months, you dated for eight years. Yeah. Well, and, I'm, I'm a California Mormon. Yeah. And so we, sure. you know, the, the, the two month, you know, courtship yeah. and then getting married never really struck a chord for me. Right. I always felt like that was a but little But still, too fast, I mean you were you had you were coming up on a one to one ratio of dating oh, yeah. to marriage. We barely time. eked past that yeah. <laughs> that marker. Um you know, it was rose colored glasses and yeah. uh you know when you're wearing rose colored glasses, even red flags look rose. <laughs> so I I just I have got to remember that. <laughs> I just looked past a lot of uh, yeah. those issues, and every all my friends saw them, but didn't tell me. And because they were, you know, I was smitten and I was committed and I was in love, and or or so I thought. I don't know now. Maybe I was just being dumb. <laughs> we've had a lot of conversations. I mean, you know, you're friends with John and Jenny Dye. Yeah, I love those um, guys. You know, we've had them on. We've had the the families, the mixed family of working with Lemons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then most recently, uh, Megan Bryant. I've all talked about their divorces. Yeah. And I love it. I love that people are open about it. How did you, how did you feel about yourself and the gospel after the marriage was over? Were you able yeah. to jump right back into life? Oh, or no. was it... No, it was a totally different experience. It was a totally different experience. And I'm really glad you brought it up because, you know, it's not that I enjoy talking about it, but I think it's important for us as members of the church to realize that not all of us are perfect, and we don't always have these picture-perfect lives that go exactly according to plan. Um, I don't think anyone does, though. I really don't. I don't think anyone I, does, but there's I don't this think weird, it actually exists. this weird pedestal or this bar that we're, yeah. you know, anyway. And we, I think I don't the problem want to is too much. <laughs> no, but the, no, I think the problem is that we think other people do. Yeah. So there are families that I've met before who I've my whole life just thought, "Wow, here's a perfect family." Then you get into a long conversation one day, and you go, "Holy cow, you guys are as messed up as we are." What? <laughs> like that's amazing. Yeah. But I think it's everybody. So what was it like coming out of a, coming out of a marriage? And yeah. So the the thing for me was that I felt like I failed. And I'm mm. very much a person that doesn't fail at things. I'm the oldest kid. I was always told I was smart and good at everything because I only did stuff that I was smart and good at. Yeah. So I never, if I failed at something, I stopped doing that thing. And then I had a hundred percent success rate because <laughs> the only things I did were things I was good at. So I got married. It didn't work out. She left and I felt like a massive failure mainly because, not because I let her down or because it didn't work out, but I made this covenant with God. Yeah. And that is a heavy thing that I took very, very seriously. And it felt like I really massively screwed up and Mm. I was unredeemable at that point. So I literally, you know, I don't talk about this part very often, but I literally was inactive for like eight months. And it wasn't a faith crisis. It wasn't a God has abandoned me because my marriage failed. It was, I was shame. It was shame. It was, you know, men, especially we either flee or we kind of lash out when we have shame. Right. And so I just kind of retreated Mm. into my, you know, apartment and I bought copious amounts of stuffed crust pizza hut, (laughs) you know, on Sunday, which I don't know, which is the worst sin buying pizza on Sunday or Uh. that it was pizza hut stuffed crust pizza. (laughs) So double sin there. And, you know, it was just, Eight months of, you know, wallowing in my own misery and feeling bad for myself. And finally, 
some friends started popping up and, you know, I start, I really dove into my work. And so I did like three or four full features as a sound engineer, Mm. which, you know, helped me get out of it. But like the hard part was that our marriage was really only good when we were at church during that three hour block. And even then sometimes she'd storm out, you know, mad at me Mm. about something I said or whatever. Um, So, because, you know, and, I don't need to say her name or anything, but her her leaving me was also a faith crisis for her. She was struggling with her faith in the church and being a strong woman, and yeah, there was a lot that was going on. So, man, I you know I can't imagine during that time that time of inactivity right after, which I think this is important for people to hear, you know, because I think there are a lot of people who identify with that. You know, I know people who. Uh, people who are, I'm very close to who have lost a loved one mm-hmm. and then didn't want to go to church. Yeah. They wanted to retreat. They didn't want to be asked about it. I mean, Sometimes that's part of it. it's too hard to be active. Yeah. It's a weird thing to say, but. But during that time, did you retreat from prayer? Did you retreat from oh, yeah. everything? Oh yeah. You just, you were on your own. I mean, my faith didn't, my, I don't know that my faith has ever wavered. I know that I've questioned, yeah. but it's more of a. I feel it whenever I question it's more of a I don't understand this help me understand it as opposed to this can't be right yeah. it wouldn't ever happen this way and I'm not going to believe it or whatever. So I retreated in the sense of I was just just kind of pa- pathetically yeah. shaming like sitting in shame is what I would it's the best way to describe it. But the scriptures are replete as you are a <laughs> true scriptorian. The scriptures are complete or replete yeah. with People who try to hide from the Lord during times of yeah, shame. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> so what happened is I had an incredible elders quorum president, an incredible bishop, Rob Holcomb, who I hope he, at some point, if you know him, he lives in Provo, send him this so he can hear me, you know, praise him for the work that he did. But he brought me into his office and he hugged me. And it was just, mm. okay. It was a direct hug from God through him that said, you're not broken. You didn't fail. I still love you. Yeah. Stop this. You don't need to feel bad for yourself mm. anymore. I need you here. And it was kind of just like the next week I was back to full activity and it's Ugh. it was fine. I don't want to make it sound like it was easy because it wasn't. I mean, no, I still not. carry um, shame from that failure of mine, but mm. I've at least gotten to the point where I'm not doubting my role in the church, my faith, my activity, my relationship with God, which is what was happening during that oh, time. Darren, I, I can't imagine. So it's funny because I can even hear in your voice a little bit of hesitancy telling the story. Yes. Because it's not the kind of thing we want to talk about. And yet I'm sure that other people respond the way I am now, which is I respect you more oh. for going through that and coming out the other side. I mean, it's especially when we get to talking about some of the things you're doing right now. Yeah. It's phenomenal. So you come back in, you're active, you're working on film, doing yeah. sound. Now, for those who don't know the film industry, tell us a little bit about what a film sound engineer does. Yeah, I make all the uh, explosions happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I literally was a uh, sound engineer and sound designer and sound mixer. So, so those are you, three separate roles. Did you ever do Foley work? I did Foley work. So yeah. tell us what Foley work is, because I've always been fascinated yeah. by Foley work. Well, I've recorded more Foley than I've actually walked Foley. Yeah. But Foley is essentially, you know, the footsteps, the utensils on plates, the rustling sound of uh, jackets coming on and off and shoes being tied and 
any little sound effect that just kind of adds some realism to the film. Because when you're on set, sometimes the microphone isn't picking that thing up. Yeah. And sometimes the stuff that you're filming is MOS or Mitout Sound, which mit is a German sound. term for no sound is recording yeah. because maybe it's slow motion or maybe there's a wind machine or something. And so you have to recreate those things. But I did all of that. I did Foley. I created sounds. I edited the sound so that from one camera angle where the mic is pointing at the fan to another camera angle when it's pointing away from the fan, they don't sound like... Oh, you smooth yeah. that out. That's the editing process. See, that's the kind of stuff that you don't think about. <coughs> I, I guess if you're oh, successful, yeah. no one should think about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a weird job because if you've done your job really well, no one notices it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the only time people appreciate you or notice you is if you screw up. Yes. So you did film, you did uh, some film engineering, but you also did audio engineering for some live events. I did. Tell so us who you've worked with. As I was working at BYU doing sound, I started working at Velour, which is an incredible, awesome, the Very best cool. venue down in Provo, yeah. Utah. If you haven't gone, you need to go. There's shows like four or five nights a week. They get great bands awesome. too. They really just, get cool bands. They do. And they create good bands. Yeah. So some of the bands that I've had the opportunity to work with, Oh my goodness, like Neon Trees, I toured with them for six months because of my relationship with them at Valor. Awesome. I did all the sound for Imagine Dragons the first three years of their existence. Incredible. Um, I mean, literally everybody that's been through there, Mindy Gledhill, Joshua James, the touring guys like Rocky Vadalato yeah. and Damian Gerardo and like incredible, incredible musicians. And it was such a great time and experience to be a part of that scene. And I mean, to this day, some of my best friends yeah. are from that music scene. Sure. That so, is really really cool. Yeah. So you were doing you were doing a lot of that that live. Now I I don't know your whole story to know, but we kind of left people with an unfair cliffhanger, <laughs> and that is that you're a single guy who's had this faith crisis and you've come back from it, <laughs> and now you being a screenwriter also, you know that Act Two everything falls apart. Let's yes. get to Act Three. Yes. How? Because you are spoiler alert. I guess you're not single. Right. How did that all come together, and when did that happen? Yeah, so it was about two years after the fact, that, or after the divorce happened, that I um, went on a date with my best friend at the time, who, whose name is and was April Blade, who was a sister from the mission. Mm. And this is now six years later. Yeah. You know, So it's been a while that we've both been home, but sure. we were best friends. Like She was the first date I went on when I came home from the mission. We went and saw Hitch together. Fun. And we went to shows together, and we hung out all the yeah, time. Yeah, very and, cool. But it was never a thing. But I was like, you know what? We should go on a date. So we went on a date. I kissed her that night, and it was like, huh. Hmm. Yeah, Sister Blade. Sister Blade. Oh, my. What just happened? So, yeah, I was her zone leader on the mission. Um, <laughs> but... Not anymore. Not anymore. So we, you know, that we tried to go out again the next night, and then it was like super weird because I was kissing Sister Blade, yeah, and I couldn't get it out of my head, and she couldn't get it out of her head, and so it was like that was maybe September, October, and yeah. then it wasn't until like March that we tried again because we had this great relationship that was kind of like not happening anymore. We're like, can we still be friends? Because I want to go to this show, and you should come with me. And we're yeah. like, yeah, okay. And then we both talked, and we're like. I think we should actually try again. It was weird, and I'm not sure why, but I don't want it to be weird. I want to actually – I think we could have a good relationship together. So this is this is like movie script stuff, by the way. Right. I mean, this is this is when Harry met Sally. This is – these kind of conversations, I didn't know they really happened. They really do. That is awesome, Darren. Yeah. This is so fascinating. 
Well, and this is probably why I became a screenwriter and a pr- film producer because <laughs> <laughs> I the love these kind already. of stories. Um, so we we picked it back up in like March, like two months later. I randomly proposed because I was like, "What am I waiting for?" So we were in Sacramento in Old Sac. I don't know yeah. if you've been down there. We were sure over by the train. Museum. We were by the river, and we <laughs> right found by... a bench, and we were sitting there. I talking. know that area well. I had bought her a little just cute ring off of Etsy for like 10 bucks. It was like an overhand knot ring. It was like a piece of thin metal that was just like soldered together at the end. So cool. But I was like, do you think a, like a cute promise ring kind of thing could turn into an engagement ring? She's like, I don't see why not. So I got down onto my knee and I said, I really want you to marry me. Wow. And she said yes. And that was uh, Memorial Weekend-ish of 2009. Mm. We call, you know, I went, we went back to my house and I said, Hey, guess what? I just proposed. And like, oh my gosh, we love her. It's amazing. <laughs> and then we called her mom. She's like, you know, we have the family reunion in August and I'm going, that's two months that's from tight. now. Yeah. So, you know, but at the same time, especially, you know, not to get too into the weeds here, but like when you've been married before and then you're not married yeah. anymore, you kind of want to be married again. And so I was like, I could do that, I guess. And she's like, I I could do that. We could put a wedding together in a month and a half. And we did. I mean, it was mainly her. I'll give her all the credit because she really (laughs) pulled it together. You just realized she was going to listen to this. I know. You didn't want to hear, hey, what do you mean you put it together? (laughs) (laughs) She really did. I think she paid for most of it, to be perfectly honest. That's really cool. But two months later, we were married. And that was August 1st, 2009. We're coming up on nine years. Awesome. to, To further... You know, just make you gag at our relationship. I love we, it. We have never had a fight. What? We've never raised our voices to each other. We've never had a fight. We've had disagreements. In nine years. And we've had, I would even say, one or two arguments. Oh, my god. <laughs> we've never had a fight because you know why? Because I was divorced. And my previous marriage, we fought a lot. And mm. I didn't want that again. And I knew it was possible to be in a relationship with someone where you didn't fight. And we have not. And it's a promise we've made to each other. It's not a hard thing to live and mm. to keep that promise. But we've never had a fight. And I never have any desire to fight because I love her more than being right. Gosh. So, and she's the same way, you know, but we work at it. It's you, you have to put in the time and the effort to be yeah. that committed. And that's that. awesome. But yeah, I've, I've never, I've actually never fought with my wife. She fights with me almost daily, <laughs> but I refuse. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Gosh, I always forget that she listens to this podcast. <laughs> so you have a family now. I do. Tell I us have a little bit about three awesome boys. They're seven, five, and four. How Eli, fun. Arlo, and Liam. Because I'm sure they'll want to listen to this, and it'll it'll be cool for them to hear their names yeah, on the radio. Cool. Um, but I love them so much, and it's like it's just such a joy. They're awesome kids. Eli uh, is in, he's starting third grade later this year. He just got into a competitive soccer team. Like I'm, I'm living the dad life, the You're hashtag dad life. <laughs> so one of the things that's great about your life is there are a lot of there are a lot of people who work in film, mm-hmm. and I'll use the air quotes film. Yes. And what that means is they do something else while they pursue a passion in film. You actually work in film, yeah, and you work on one of the coolest projects. I could possibly imagine. Tell us a little bit about the relative race. Yeah, relative race kind of came out of nowhere for me. So I've worked as a film producer, and I say film even though everything we shoot on is DSLRs and video cameras nowadays. But to be fair, I started working on film, so there. Um, (laughs) But we, you know, I ran a production company for almost a decade, 
and we wrote screenplays and we tried to make them and it never happened. And, you know, the business just kind of fizzled out at the end of last year. And so I went back to freelancing. Uh, you know, I texted all my friends saying, I'm available for hire. And I promptly <laughs> got no responses. Oh. So it was like a good month and a half of just like, well, I'm going to help my buddy do some construction and I'm going to help do the side job yeah. and stuff like that to just kind of reset. And then a buddy, Travis Babcock, who works, uh, owns his own shop up in Salt Lake. He's a great shooter and director. He uh, messaged me on Facebook and said, you should really take a look at this. They're they're hiring another uh, story producer. And I said, ooh, story producer. Story What's producer? a story producer? I don't producer? even know what a story producer me does. Me either, but I like it. So I, you know, <laughs> there's I, a paycheck attached to it. Know, and I'm working in better. film. I love it. Um, especially here in Utah. It's very yeah. hard to come by a producing job that pays you on a regular basis. Right. So I went and talked with Travis. He's like, you're perfect for this. You should talk to these guys. I'm going to call them right now. I mean, it was literally like I met with him on Thursday. On Friday, they called me and said, come in on Monday. We want to meet you. Mm. I met with them on Monday and it was a great interview. And I was just like, over the weekend, I'd watched the show yeah. and I watched season two, episode six, where Joe Greer meets his dad and I was crying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking, how is BYU TV making me cry from a reality <laughs> television show? So, so I cry <laughs> regularly in the Same. relative race. I mean, Same. I just, and I always think. Yeah, this one's not going to get me. That lady's cranky. <laughs> oh, that lady's wrong. so cranky. And then five minutes later, <laughs> but she really does love her. So tell us, but tell our, you know, our, our, our audience, for those who have not seen The Relative Race, give us kind of the backstory Absolutely. to it. So Relative Race is very much like Amazing Race, where there's four teams of two that each have their own color-coded cars that match their t-shirts, mm -hmm. and they drive around America, and they hit a new state or a new city every single day. And when they get to that city, they do a challenge, which unlocks a address. And the twist of the show is that address takes them to a relative's house. And it may be a husband-wife team, or a brother-sister team, or yeah. a father-daughter team, but they don't know whose relative they're going to meet. Um, and so they go and they knock on the door and there's this excitement and everybody's wondering who's on the other side and they're hoping it's the dad, but maybe it's a crazy cousin. And you so sit going they, sometimes, and sometimes it's hilarious. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it kind of doesn't really go anywhere <laughs> occasionally. Yeah. Which, and that's the nature I, of reality television, right. right? But there are times where you're bawling your eyes out when they, yeah. they've made these connections and they get out old photos and yeah. I mean, if you've watched uh, season three and you know, uh, Michael Anderson's connection with his family and Rebecca Hoyt's connection with her family, yeah. like, it is uh, you're tearing up every single episode. It's, it's spectacular. Insane. So they, you know, to just complete that, they knock on the door, they meet a relative, they say who they're related to and how they're related. And it's a beautiful moment. Yeah. And I saw that and was like, I, I think this is what I need to be doing right now. It was very much that as opposed to, ooh, this is what I want to work on, or this seems good for my career, mm. or this is a really nice paycheck. It's all of those things. But the the overriding feeling at the moment was, the Lord needs me right here, right now. And I was not expecting that because I'm a film snob and I'm, I work in film and not TV <laughs> and definitely not definitely reality not. TV. Well, and not BYU TV. <laughs> and, I mean, I've worked on BYU shows and it's sure. fine, but it is its own brand of yeah, content. Yeah. So I was just like, do I want to work for BYU TV? I don't know. But I got in, I dove in with, you know, both feet or head first. Maybe and what was, is your day-to-day -day job on the show? I am a senior producer. So essentially I'm in charge of one of the four teams. And from day one, I'm given a team and they say they're looking for their dad. They don't know his name 
or anything else about him. <laughs> find him so we can put it on television. Wow. And that's what we did. We set out to find our contestant's family. We found a lot of cool people for both uh, – my contestant and their yeah. teammate. I'm trying to be as vague as possible yeah, because they only away. revealed. I can yeah. say that I was the producer for Team Green of episode or season four, okay. which is airing in the fall. Yeah, so, so Paris the one we and Precious, Team Green. Yeah, we'll, they are we'll two of my work. favorite people now. Yeah, she texted me on Father's Day because oh, she's just like, man. I love you so much, and you're so great, and I'm That's just like, so this is the fun. coolest thing ever. And yeah. I didn't expect it to be this rewarding experience, but. What I want to talk about actually with that show is how much of a spiritual experience it was. Mm -hmm. I had no idea going in that that was going to be the case. Mm. So, I mean, literally on a daily basis, you know, first of all, I'm, we we're going to talk about this other project I was working on at the same time, but I was in this very spiritual place that I hadn't really been in for a decade or so. Like I've, I'm a spiritual person, but not deeply. So I was just like in this deep spiritual space. Uh, in my life. And then every day as I was praying, like those prayers were being answered and we were finding people and everything was falling into place and it was just going to be a good experience. But then we got on the road and Mm. I mean, it's the road on a reality TV show is grueling. It's 16 hour days. You're driving four or five hours every day to a new Mm. city. You're coordinating 12 people on your crew along with dealing with stuff from home Mm. base and what's coming up the next day and the next day and the next day and all this stuff. And trying to send Marco Polo's to your kids to make sure they remember who you are and that you exist and they, they have a dad. Yeah. So there's just a lot to balance. And, but every day, the crazy thing that happened that I was not expecting is that I was having these incredible spiritual experiences mm. where I was directly getting these impressions and these thoughts and these um, revelations mm. about the pro the 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 experience that I was able to be a part of, and the the overarching thing was that God has had this in the works for a lot longer than <laughs> than I've been a part of it, and I was just lucky to be a part of it all, yeah, but then on top of that, he needed me there, mm. and that was such a cool feeling oh, doesn't that feel good and I got to the end uh the last day that we were filming with our team. And I pulled Precious aside and I said, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person and I'm a, I'm a believer in God. And so I apologize if you're not, because we hadn't had that conversation. Yeah. It just wasn't a conversation we needed to have ever. Well, that's but, important to point out is it's yeah. not Mormon contestants. No, it's, it's generally they, they exclude Mormon contestants because yeah, we've all done our show. genealogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I pulled her aside and I said, look, I need to tell you something because I feel like you need to hear this and know mm. this. But every single day of this uh, trip that we've been on together, I have had this distinct impression, this, I mean, I'd almost call it a voice because it was so clear and so real telling me that you are a special daughter of our heavenly father, that he loves you more than you or I could ever know. And that he wanted, he wanted your story to be told this way. Because we don't even know how many people it's going to touch and affect. But there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are going to watch this and be touched and feel the spirit because of your willingness to come on the show. Wow. And at one point, or I think it was a few days before that, but she had mentioned to me that she had actually 
composed an email uh, saying we don't want to actually be on the show. After we'd already put her under contract and said we're moving forward and you guys are on the show and we're going to find your family, hopefully, she was going to – because it was too hard. If Her fear was that we wouldn't find anybody. Oh. And she would go in with these high expectations. You put yourself high out hopes, there. And that it would just What if they're her. not there? What if they're not there? What if they're dead? What if any, you know, any number yeah. of things. And she said she had that open for like two weeks Ugh. and she never sent it. And I hugged her and I'm like, thank you for not <laughs> sending that. So, I mean, God had his hand in uh. this, this story and this process, everything from the way that we found her family to the people that we actually found for her to them being on the show to me being on the show it was all what a blessing. God's plan. I'll tell you, BYU TV has so stepped up its game. You know, we had Stephen Jones on, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and his show, uh, you know, with Lisa, Lisa Random Acts. Yeah. The, it's such, such a beautiful show. And then your show and, you know, Extinct and yeah. the broad variety. You know, we had Scott Christopher on who did Granite Flats. Nice. And, you know, it's just, they're really giving amazing content. Mm-hmm. What's incredible to me is that while the world is running to how negative can it be, how in your face, how whatever, BYU TV is creating all these things that are just touching yeah. and beautiful and exciting. And it's just, it's awesome that you got to be a part of it. And this leads us now that you're done with <laughs> the relative race to a really big project yeah. revolving around the Book of Mormon. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, and and to be fair or to be accurate, I am currently in pre-production for season five. Oh, yeah. And so season five is shooting in the fall when season mm. four airs. So I'm still on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I but you're not running around the country right now. Not right now. It's a couple yeah. months of prep and then two weeks of intense shooting. Gotcha. So yes, the project that's consumed me for the last uh, year and a half. So I serve, I'll try to keep this really short. I know I've been long-winded. No, it's been fantastic. Um, So I currently serve and have served for the last few years as the gospel doctrine teacher in my ward. And I love that calling. It's like the third time I've had the calling. I love it so much. I had it twice. I, favorite calling there is. It's the best. I love it. It's the best. Um, So in 2016, as everyone knows, uh, we were teaching, the curriculum for the year was the Book of Mormon. And I had this irrational fear at the end of the year that myself included, along with the rest of the class, we were just going to stop reading the Book of Mormon and we were all going to go to hell. Um, And obviously, like I prefaced that with, it was an irrational fear, but it was real to me. And there was probably someone who was. Probably. (laughs) It's that one guy. I know his name, but I'm not going to say it on this podcast. Exactly. But I really was like consumed with this uh, fear for the class as a whole. And I was like, what are we going to do? So I committed to myself first to make sure I didn't stop reading the Book of Mormon once we transitioned to studying and teaching the Doctrine and Covenants, which is another book of scripture from the the Mormon, uh, not curriculum, but canon, that's the word. Um, So, you know, I set out to actually find some verses. I went on kind of a hunt because as I was teaching the Book of Mormon in 2016, I've, I kept seeing these verses pop up that I called statement verses. Oh, yeah. They were just kind of like a principle of the gospel encapsulated in one sentence or one verse or one section of scripture. Oh, interesting. I've never thought of scriptures like, that way. Yeah, but it was like, if you do this, then this. If you keep the commandments, okay. you will prosper in the land. And I was like, 
I feel like there's probably a lot of verses like that yeah. because there's also verses that are sure. like, my father dwelt in a tent. And you're like, yeah. that's not a gospel principle. Uh, maybe it is. And sure. I'm just like not there yet. And Neil A. Maxwell could give four conference talks <laughs> on it, but I'm not there yet. So yeah. I was just like, I wonder how many there are. So I went through, I actually went to BYU and scared a whole bunch of freshmen because I have kind of a beard and I'm 34 <laughs> and they're like, what's that guy doing here? Why is he here? And, but I went and bought like a paperback copy of the Book of Mormon and a blue highlighter and I went home and every morning for like a half hour, I got up extra early and I was just like going through and highlighting all the verses that I could find that were those types of verses. Wow. And it was just such a cool process and it took me about three months and I got to the end and because my brain is like in love with spreadsheets, I'm weird that way. Like I am a creative, I'm very right brain, yeah. but I'm also like 60% left brain and I'm I very totally much a it. producer. I get it. So I'm just like, I need to categorize and organize all this data that I found. So I started, I uh, use a writing app and I started putting all of the verses in one by one, I'd type them in and then I would add keywords to them. So I would say, this one is about Christ and the atonement and the Holy Spirit. And I would do that for verse after verse after verse. And that took me another like two months, but I got to the end and I realized there were over 300 verses that I had found and over 36 different categories. And I'm just sitting here going, this is something I need to spend more time on. And I had this, again, this distinct impression that I needed to write a book. I'm like, but I'm not a Mormon author. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't write these kind of books. Sure. Like, I'm a filmmaker. Can I make a movie? Can I make a movie out of it? <laughs> but I'm also not a Mormon filmmaker, so I don't know. Sure. Um, so I set out to kind of start f figuring out how to write a book, but I also wanted to start sharing this what I had found with my class. So initially, what I did was I set up an email and I said. Look, I'm going to write an email a day. It'll take me like five or 10 minutes. I already have all the verses queued right, up. Yeah. So I'll take one verse a day and I'll put it in an email and I'll add some context and some questions to ponder so you can actually like think about it throughout the day and maybe some daily challenges. And I'm just like, That'll, that's a cool thing. And I shared it with my friends and I shared it with the class at church and the bishop and a yeah. bunch of people. And I, I was fine with that being it. Like, okay, 20, 30 people are reading it every day. I feel good about putting it out there. And then in a year or so, I'll have a book and maybe that'll be cool too. Yeah. And that's kind of all it was. But then, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Gotta um, make more of it. I, and, and not because of anything I was doing, but it just started getting shared. The word of mouth took off. Actually, yeah. it was, as Seth Godin puts it, it was word of mouse yes. because people were clicking and sharing the, the thing. And principle. so it just kind of took off. And it, yeah. you know, I checked the email list uh, and I set it up as an email because I wanted it to start on email number one or verse number one sure. whenever you signed up, whether it was day one or day 400. Uh, yeah. So rather than doing a blog or an Instagram right. post or whatever. Sure. So I set it up that way, but all of a sudden people were sharing it on Facebook and then Jen Blossel's sharing it and then 50 mm. people sign up because she's awesome. And then yeah. Lisa Valentine Clark shares it and 180 people sign up because she's awesome. She's awesome. And all of a sudden I've got 200 and then 400 and then 600 people that are on the email list. And I'm going, what did I do? Yeah. Now you got to keep it going too. <laughs> now I have to keep it yeah. going. And so that was last summer when I started it. And it's been, I've, I've, I've written, I wrote an email a day for 335 days. That is and unbelievable, I've, Darren. I've never done anything like that. That is so amazing. And I, I can't take credit for it because it was really the Lord just saying, look, yeah. I'm going to give you what you need to pull this off. Oh, that is the um, coolest. And so 
I did that. And then, and now, you know, I got to the end. This is about two, three weeks ago. I got to the end of all the verses I'd highlighted. Yeah. And I was like, now what? Because the book's not done. Because books are hard. Books they take a hard. long time yeah. to write. I can write a screenplay in two weeks. Yep. But writing a book is hard. Well, especially where you're not writing a story. No, I'm writing a narrative no nonfiction. Beginning, middle, end. I'm, you know. I mean, I'm trying to weave some of my life story into sure, it. Sure, so but has, it's not it's not yeah. just a given story arc. Exactly. And also, you're not dealing with fiction where you can decide, and then this character right. is just going to die, and this character is going to you've you've got stuff you have to work with. You yeah. have confines you're working with. Well, not that ju- not just that. I'm actually doing research. This I is a really say, daunting project. You know this, yes. right, Darren? I mean, this is a huge deal. I'm aware. So I'm <laughs> I'm two thirds of the way done. Do you want to guess how? many words i've written so far because a, uh, a solid a solid non-fiction book is like 70 80,000 words okay i'm two-thirds of the way done and i've written ninety-four thousand words wow it's a massive massive this undertaking. is a tome it's a tome <laughs> that is the perfect word for it so i'm sitting here and i get to the end of the emails and i'm like oh man all these people are gonna be mad at me and there's hundreds of them now and so they're gonna be extra mad and it's gonna hurt even more because there's so many of them and what am i gonna do and then i again Voice of the Lord pops up into my head and says, you've been writing 400 words a day in an email series for a year now. And I go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I literally took all the emails and I you know, compiled them into a book. And I go, oh, my gosh, there's 124,000 words right there. Compilation. Uh, so I turned it into a book. And so now the the cool thing is, and I'm really glad that I w- was inspired to, I'm not taking credit for it. I literally was given inspiration to turn it into an email and not a blog post. Yeah. So, you know, if you sign up today, you literally start on day start one and one. you know that you've got 335-ish days ahead of you. Yeah. Of daily Mormon messages that take two minutes to read. It comes in your email every morning. So it's there when you wake up. You don't have to remember it. Yeah. The habit's already formed for you. And it's been... It's been so cool. And then I have the book that's now available yeah. as well. So if, if you don't like getting an email a day or it's overwhelming or you want to go at your own pace or your yeah. own order, you have that option too. But So tell us tell us yeah. how we can find the book. Yes. So the, the book is at dailymormonbook.com. Dailymormonbook.com. Yes. And the email, which seems like the thing that most people are signing up for because it's free, is dailymormon.email. Dailymormon.email, which is brilliant. It's because it's a daily Mormon. It's brilliant, email. except that everybody goes dailymormonemail.com, and that's yeah. not the right place. Yeah, that's hard. I should probably buy that and have it redirect. Yeah. But dailymormon.email. But the book would make a phenomenal gift. Absolutely. I mean, it's a great, and not to mention, I like, I don't know, I like books for study. I use yeah. a Kindle for my casual reading. Yeah. But for study, there's the something same about a real book that you can write in and you can mark and you can. You know, so that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I've set it up so that if you, I I really am not trying to make money off the thing. You know, Mm. it costs money to print books, especially hardbacks. For sure. And it's a 400 page book. So, I mean, it's a meaty book and you're getting a lot out of it. How much is the book? So right now it's on sale. And if you use the code Latter-day Lives. Latter-day Lives is your code. You're going to be able to get a discount as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much that is because I haven't set it up yet. But by the time this goes (laughs) on air. That was very spontaneous. Yeah, I know. I like it. But I love your listeners already and I love you. So I want to make sure that they always have a discount code. That's great. So Latter-day Lives, when you check out, it'll be a coupon code. It'll probably give you 20% off or something. That's great. Right now it's on sale until July 3rd when it's officially uh, in print. But, um, so it's on sale right now 
And I even set up a cool, like, if you want to buy two, the second one's basically like pay for the printing and the shipping. That's so awesome. Because I want people to be able to get in their lives. Because the coolest thing for me has been watching it grow and then seeing the feedback. And because it's an email, yeah. I get responses every yeah, people day. Reply. People reply. People oh, reply. What a blessing! And then Darren. I get emails from .co.uk and .co.au. Oh, isn't that awesome? And Scotland and Japan and around the world. all over around the world. And it's been so so cool and so rewarding. So check out the book. Sign up for the email. I would say do both. Yeah. Because then that gives you two different ways that you can study. But man, to talk about a great piece to give your kids. Yeah. I mean, to, you know, someone maybe who wants bite-sized pieces of the gospel. I have lately shifted from reading the Book of Mormon to studying the Book of Mormon. Yeah. When I started realizing I couldn't even remember at the end of the day what I had read that morning. And so I love this kind of thing, and I love that you're doing it. Give us the website one more time. Yeah, it's dailymormon.email for the email list, which is free. It doesn't cost anything. It's very easy to sign up. And the book is at dailymormonbook.com. Dailymormonbook.com. Darren, this has been so fascinating, and I'm so glad that we got to meet and talk about all these experiences you've had. Me too. And people can go and check out your book and your email, and they can watch The Relative Race and know that you had a, a hand in it and yeah. continue to have a hand in it when season five comes out. And and then your family and, and all this has just been it's just been awesome. We are going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests. Yeah. What does being a member of the church mean to you, Darren Smith? I'm glad that I listened to your podcast so that I could prepare for this, because I think <laughs> I would have been caught off guard. Um, so the answer that I've practiced is that I I feel like the being a member of the church is kind of a shorthand for me. It rep, Anytime you become a member of anything, it, you're kind of taking on what that membership believes, their stated beliefs, mm. their goals, their desires for themselves and the world around them. And that's kind of what I see the church as. And um, it's a shorthand for what I believe, yeah. uh, that my Christianity is maybe different from other be- Christian beliefs, mm. that I believe in a, a living God and a living Christ. They're two separate beings, that there's revelation, <laughs> that there's a Holy Spirit, that there's modern prophets and revelation and other books of Scripture. Uh, but it's a shorthand to just say I'm a Mormon. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of uh, Latter-day Saints. Yeah. So I love that fact, but it's it also means that I'm a part of a work that it's a humbling thing to be a part of. Um, and the perspective that it gives by being a part of a work where you're giving tithing, where you're giving fast offerings, where you're giving service, where you're ministering, where you're serving as a missionary, where you have a calling, like that's that's a big thing that we yeah. don't really, we take for granted because it's what we've done our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, okay. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the relief society president now, right? Uh, whatever. But it's, you know, if you really take a step back, it's just given me so much perspective on life yeah. because I believe that life is more than just being born and having some fun and then dying. And then it's over, <laughs> you know, that eternal perspective has given me so, so much in my life that I'm just forever grateful for. And I, I love when I get to, whether it's in my class uh, at church or to my kids, like I love being able to say that I cannot wait for the day that, not that I die, but the day that I get to right. be reunited with everybody on the other side of the veil yeah. because my mom's 
there waiting for me mm-hmm. and my grandparents. And, you know, as I get older, a lot of other family members, but you know, I've, I, I want to hug Joseph Smith and tell him thanks <laughs> for yeah. everything he went through. Yeah. And I cannot wait to kneel before my savior and be able to mm-hmm. thank him for his sacrifice yeah. and, and for giving for letting me know that that happened because he made sure that we could have that information. Yeah. So that's what the being a member of the church means for me. Well, it's just, this has been so fascinating and so uplifting and I feel motivated to redouble my efforts on my scripture study. <laughs> you are well, the daily uh, Mormon will help. So yes, I know uh, for fantastic. <laughs> so uh, definitely producer, now author, husband, father, uh, all the different roles and definitely amazing child of God, Darren Smith. Thank you for sharing your latter-day life with us. Thank you so much. My special thanks to Darren Smith for being willing to come on the show, and I am so happy to have met him. The greatest blessing that I have in hosting this show is all the people that I get to meet. You know, lots of friends of mine have been on the show, but uh, what a blessing it is to uh, get to meet so many incredible people because just because of the podcast. And thank you so much to Darren. Now, as I mentioned, we are giving away a copy of his book. And again, I highly recommend that you go check it out at dailymormonbook.com so you know what we're talking about. But you can get your own hard copy of it. And because the book is all about the Book of Mormon, it's helping enhance our study. We want to know what your favorite Book of Mormon scripture is. So this will be a social media contest. Look for our post. Uh, Go to our pages at Instagram or at Facebook. Just go to our profile and you will see a post about this contest. All you have to do is share your favorite Book of Mormon scripture, and that automatically then enters you for the contest, and you can win your own copy of Darren's book. Uh, that's that's it. You don't have to explain why. We'd love to hear why you love it if you want to share that as well. But uh, we will not be judging, hey, the best scripture wins. We will just randomly then draw from everybody who shares it. But I love hearing what people's favorite scriptures are, and I love the Book of Mormon And again, Darren, thank you so much. So go to Facebook or Instagram for the win. All right, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, I'm in Southern California actually right now. I'm recording this from Anaheim. Um, Last week as a follow-up to last week's guest, uh, at the end of the show, Bryce Randall and I mentioned that we never make it to Disneyland at the same time. Well, I was supposed to fly home Friday night, but uh, I got stuck here on some business late Friday and had to be back early Monday morning, so I decided to stay for the weekend. And my wife and kids are up hanging out with my in-laws anyway. It all kind of worked out really well. Um, But Friday night, I went over to Disneyland Park, and lo and behold, there was Bryce Randall. If you want to see us on video, go to our Facebook page. We did a Facebook Live, so that was a lot of fun. But it's been a great great few days here in uh, Southern California. I was actually here interviewing. I'm trying to hire for two positions. And I met with a guy and interviewed him. And he's kind of been through a rough patch. But I really like the guy. And uh, he's currently 
uh, not employed. And the more I talked to him, the more I just felt like he was our guy. But I could tell that the last few months, as he's been unemployed, have been a little bit rough on him. And so we ended up making him a job offer, and it's a really solid offer, really good job offer for a great position that uh, I have on my team. And here's a guy who was very open about the fact, you know, he has children and he needs to support his family and that it's gotten really tight as he's been unemployed. And I made him the job offer. And I guess there was a part of me that kind of thought maybe he would just jump and say, I'm in, I got it, a good, I'll take it. Because he had told me that what we're offering is exactly what he's looking for. And I made him the offer just verbally over the phone. I said, here's what we plan to offer you in the formal letter. And I said, tell me what you think. And he said, okay, I I think I'm clear on the details. Thank you. And then he said, I am a man of faith. And I would really like to take some time to think about the offer and then to pray about it and just make sure that this is the right thing. And I was so touched by the Spirit in that moment. He is not an LDS man. He is not of our faith but he is a faithful man. And the Spirit touched me, and I could feel the relationship that this man has with our Heavenly Father. And I felt the love that our Heavenly Father has for this man. And it touched my heart so deeply that this is my brother. And I think sometimes we get so lost in our own faith. And when we say brothers and sisters, we're talking about brothers and sisters of our faith. And this was a moment where I was talking to a brother in the faith, where I was talking to another one of God's children, as much as we are all God's children, every one of us, uh, LDS, not LDS, atheist, um, Jewish, uh, Muslim, Hindu, it does not matter. We are all his children, and we all have different relationships with God. And yet I felt the Spirit so strongly from this man. And sure enough, he called me back the next day and said, okay, I'm in. And he is starting this week, and that's why part of the reason, anyway, that I'm sticking around. And I'm just so grateful for his example and that he was willing to say it. He could have said, just give me a day and I'll get back to you. But the fact that he put it out there, and he doesn't know my faith or my background, but the fact that he he used it as a missionary moment and said, I need to take this to God. I'm grateful for him and grateful for the gospel and so thankful for a loving God. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. And I'm so thankful to every one of you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Again, be sure to go over to LDS Mission Cast and hear some of Darren's missionary experiences. It's a very different episode from what Darren and I did here. And be sure to check out Facebook or Instagram for that chance to win Darren's amazing book. Um, You only get one entry, so choose your social media, or you can put it on both, but it will still be one entry per person. We will do the drawing on this uh, later next week, and it's going to be awesome. You have a chance at the book, and go buy the book. Sign up for the email Darren is doing great things. So again, thank you so much. If you enjoy the show, we always encourage you to share it with others. Uh, But otherwise, until next week, when we have another fantastic show for you, please remember that there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. 
Thanks for listening.